Everybody, welcome to a Rocky Star Podcast. I'm Brian Argot on a Rocky Star Podcast. I bring on guests from all around sports to talk about their journey to sports. And today I am talking with the Chicago native. He's a multimedia sports journalist over at WGN over in Chicago. His name is Josh Friedman. This guy is awesome. Very professional, uh, love how he carries himself in this interview. And I hope you guys all enjoy this episode with Josh Friedman. Uh, be, being in Chicago, man, uh, tough time in sports uh, because, well, and I'm saying that because your Cubs just swept my New York Mets. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that was the one bright spot from the season for sure. That was nice. <laughs> not, not not for me. As we're in, we're in a we have a half game lead over the uh, Atlanta Braves right now, <laughs> and uh, I'm sweating <laughs> every day as the Mets just keep it. Looks like they were going to implode. Uh, how's this uh, Chicago Cubs season gone so far? Yeah, it's kind of a rebuilding year. So we expected them to be not great. And they've been probably better than some people have expected. Yeah. Um, but they're, they'll still lose 90 plus games. So it's it's been a weird year because there's been no expectations. And they were supposed to trade Contreras at half and they you know, did not. So that was weird. And um, the hope is they'll spend this offseason on some of the big free agents and some of their young players look pretty good, and, and hopefully they can be competitive next year. Yeah, what what bright young players uh, do you um, have high expectations for going into the next season? Well, for next year, I would say you know Nico Horner has established himself as probably a Gold Glover this year at shorts. Now they could go and get Trey Turner or Dansby Swanson or Carlos Correa to add to the middle infield, but <laughs> I think you have to be flexible, right? One guy could play second, like Trevor Story. Did with Boston, they didn't, uh, you know, didn't preclude them from going out and getting story when they had Xander Bogarts. Bogarts is another free agent. So, um, yeah, I, I, I've liked what he's done. Say Suzuki, they brought in from um, Japan. He's been he's been really good, too. Um, I think, you know, some of the young pitchers, um, guys like uh, Keegan Thompson, Justin Steele have shown they can be potential pieces in the rotation. So, yeah, then you got a pretty good minor league system, maybe not for next year, but next next couple of years after that. Yeah, no, there are some bright spots there, and I think they have uh, some building blocks to go on. As you know, uh, a couple of free agent additions and bring up some players, and uh, you guys might be right back in attention. Look, look a lot better than what uh, some of these other teams have right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. So we'll see. That's for sure. Where, where did it all start for you as a sports fan in general? Like as a young kid. Yeah, I grew up a. Diehard Cubs fan. I grew up in the northern suburbs of Chicago. My grandpa got me into Cubs baseball. As I know, a lot of sports fans, they get into it from parents or grandparents. And, <laughs> you know, my dad is from Ohio. So he grew up an Ohio State fan. So I actually grew up a big Buckeye fan. Did not go there for school, but still, you know, root for them a little bit. Not that I'm my main college team, but um, my mom and my grandpa on her side, her dad, they got me into the Cubs. So I remember going to Cubs games uh mid 90s you know um the sosa mcguire 98 chase i was in like my prime of sports watching like nine ten years old and that was you know <laughs> i had to go home every day watch the game on wgn which is very crazy now that i work for wgn um and yeah the cubs really started it but all the chicago sports teams you know the bears the bulls i kind of caught the end of the jordan years yeah. so i didn't really get to um live through the dynasty that's unfortunate. Obviously I got to rewatch everything like everybody else did in the last <laughs> dance. So that was fun. Um, but then, you know, the Blackhawks, they had some down years, but then um, when they drafted Kane and Taves and built up that 
that dynasty to have three Stanley Cups from 2010 to 2015. That was great. And uh, and the Bears have always been kind of disappointing. You know, they had one, one <laughs> Super Bowl run in 06, and I was a senior in high school, so that was really cool. But you aside from that, it's been bad, bad quarterback play, decent you defense, getting killed by the Packers. You don't miss uh, Rex Grossman at all? <laughs> do not mix uh sexy rexy as we call them yeah i mean you can name like 30 quarterbacks that i grew up watching and they're all terrible so it's been rough <laughs> what what is uh what are your hopes on justin fields i'm hopeful i think you know it's it's tough right now to evaluate him because the pieces around him are, are pretty brutal yeah. you know we saw the opener on on week one the conditions were were terrible so you can't really evaluate him but the offensive line is going to be a little shaky they're starting a left tackle that was drafted in the fifth round this year uh, second year right tackle that was drafted in the fifth round last year um, yeah. inexperienced guards uh, aside from Cody White here so yeah the offensive line is going to be a challenge and outside of Darnell Mooney the pass catchers too so um, I'm hopeful Fields can ascend just based on his pure talents and being able to raise all the boats with him and hopefully we get to see more progress and I like the scheme that they have now with Luke Getze who was the quarterback's coach for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers he's now the yeah. OC so I'm, I'm maintaining hope. I don't think the Bears are going to be very good despite their win week one over the 49ers. <laughs> I, I do think that um, they'll be probably a six or seven win team at best, but I think Fields makes the progress that they need. And they have, hopefully uh, they have a lot of cap space next year. So hopefully uh, we'll know that Fields is the guy and build around him. Yeah, two, two things here. I mean, I think six or seven wins is a uh, big plus for you guys this year because I, I never saw the what people were thinking for four and five wins maybe for you guys or maybe the – the worst record in the NFL because I think Justin I, I I'm, just, I'm also really high on Justin Fields so I I am one of those guys do, do you think do you think it's safe to say that you guys got the better quarter traded up for the better quarterback in the draft unlike the Niners did for that <laughs> I think it's too early to say that right now I think the Trey Lance situation is very interesting because yeah. even though and I uh, for our our show on WGN I interviewed uh, Tim Ryan who is the uh, color analyst for their radio broadcast for the 49ers and I asked him you know is is this the this Trey Lance's team, despite Jimmy G being back there, just need to look over his shoulder. And they're like, no, they, they handed the keys to Trey. It's his team. But if they struggle like they did on, on Sunday and Lance does not look good, this is a Super Bowl caliber roster. So yeah. Jimmy Grapple has taken this team to the Super Bowl. Now, maybe they feel like that's his limit. That's his peak. And that's why they, they like Lance. And that's why they traded up for him. But if they quickly realize that they made the mistake and Lance is not that guy and he had so few starts in college and two starts last year as a rookie. So he's still so inexperienced. So I'm not ready to, to write him off yet. I think he, he's clearly talented, but um, yeah, it's been a struggle for a lot of that rookie class. Trevor Lawrence hasn't looked very good. Um, Zach Wilson's been hurt. So we really not, yeah. don't know about him yet, but um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Justin is, is the best of that class in the next couple of years. Yeah, no, I think he was clearly the best one. Uh, Mac Jones is, probably you know he had a, a course yeah really Mac Jones too. I think I think he's got the best situation around him with the Patriots yeah. and Belichick but I don't I don't think he's nearly as talented no I think I think Justin Fields by far is like the most ready and the most talented uh to handle this kind of situation uh that that's for sure uh when, when did you know you wanted to get or to pursue sports as a career yeah like most kids I grew up playing sports and like most kids realized that I was not going to go pro pretty early um you know baseball was always my favorite sport to play I was always just like a decent player nothing you know crazy and so um getting into sports in another career path was something that appealed to me honestly pretty young like I remember late junior high early high school thinking about what could be, uh, you know, I wanted to be the broadcaster for the Cubs, right? I wanted to be the next Pat Hughes and the radio play-by-play -play guy. 
And luckily I went to a high school that had a lot of resources for what I wanted to do. So as a freshman in high school, I joined the student radio station and got to start broadcasting the football, baseball, basketball games on the radio, do play-by-play, do color analysis for the games and also hosted a, a talk radio show. So that was a great option when I was 14, 15 years old to start pursuing what would end up being a career path. And then I joined the uh, student newspaper as well and uh, worked on that sophomore through senior years. And um, by the time I was a senior in high school, I was the sports director of our radio station. So I got to do most of the games on the radio as far as the play-by-play. Newspaper-wise, I was the copy editor for our newspaper. I, you know, wrote features, columns, you name it. So the writing aspect was always really important to me. And honestly, I had no TV experience in high school. That was, it was like the morning announcements, right? That was with the TV program. But radio and newspaper were um, two of my biggest social activities outside of, of class and, and doing those as hobbies um, pursued to, or, or they um, wanted me, I guess, so or um, convinced me, I should say, to pursue broadcasting or journalism as a uh, college path. And so I looked at uh, Northwestern, which is in Evanston, near where I grew up, and University of Missouri, which had um, at the time still does one of the best journalism programs in the country and um, ended up choosing Mizzou and um, super happy with the way things worked out. Missouri really prepares you so well for going into the real world. Like right away, you're able to shoot high school football games on Friday nights as a freshman, go out with experienced seniors and juniors and learn how to use a camera, how to shoot highlights on the, on the sidelines, go back and edit that highlight that night, put it on the air. So you're learning all those real world things. And um, I kind of fell into the TV track a little bit. I was looking to do maybe more radio and newspaper. And I joined the TV station that they had, uh, the student TV station that they had the first week of school and caught on the bug basically. And I became the sports director of the student TV station as a sophomore. And then the other great thing about Mizzou is that um, it has a NBC affiliate TV station that you work for as a student. So you live in LA, you know, you turn on NBC, right? They have the affiliate there. It's the same thing in Columbia, Missouri, much, you know, different demographics and different um, viewership and market size, but you're still on the air live for a local newscast. And I got to do that throughout my college career. So it was a great experience. Seriously. I mean, man, yeah. Getting, getting your hands on in college, like perfect, getting you all set up for the real world uh, in there. Uh, what, what was it like uh, watching the Cubs win the, the world series in 2015, 16? Um, so actually this is a funny story. Um, I didn't get to see them live win the world series, which is crazy. <laughs> Cause I'm a diehard Cubs fan, but um, <laughs> I was on an assignment and uh, at the time WGN, so I've been working for GN for it'll be eight years this fall. At the time, we had not only Cubs games, but White Sox, Blackhawks, and Bulls games that we broadcast. And not, you know, we probably had like you know 15 to 20 of those games each uh, per year. And a lot of those games came with pregame shows. And that meant we had, we had to broadcast the pregame shows. We had, and it was an awesome experience because I got to do live pregame shows from the United Center and also on the road. And game seven happened to be one of those days where we had a Bulls pregame show on the road in Boston. <laughs> and because I was still lower on the totem pole in the sports department, I was not in Cleveland to cover the game, but they needed someone to cover this pregame show and do sideline for the Bulls game. 
And that was me. And so um, <laughs> on one hand, it was an awesome experience. And I got to do um, the pregame show from the garden in Boston, do some um, reporting during the game and some cut-ins as a sideline reporter. Also watching on my iPad, game seven of the world series. And the craziest <laughs> part was I flew back on the team plane. So I was with Dwayne Wade and Jimmy Butler and those, oh, those bulls teams which any other day would have been an amazing experience, <laughs> except I was like, I can't believe I'm flying right now. And right before we took off, the Cubs gave up the home run to Rajay Davis in the eighth oh, inning. Yeah, yeah. And they went to that uh, rain delay and we had to turn off our devices basically right then to, to fly out. And so if they would have, if they would have won in, that, in regular um, nine innings of play and not extra innings, I would have seen it. But instead, we had to go fly in the air and the internet wasn't working properly. And so we, we couldn't stream anything. And like, I don't know, half an hour later, maybe an hour later, the pilot comes on. All he says is Cubs win eight, seven. That's all he says. And mm. people cheer. Cause there's a lot of Cubs fans on the plane. I remember like getting emotional thinking about it and thinking about my grandpa who had passed away and all the Cubs fans who couldn't see this and um, landed back in Chicago. It was like two 30 in the morning. There were still people all over the city celebrating. So it was a, a very unique experience to, to have the Cubbies win the World Series, but I did go to the parade, which was fun. You're like, you're like, hey, uh, Dwayne, I know you guys just lost stuff, but the Cubs won the World Series. Did the Heat? Uh, sorry, did the uh, Bulls win that night? Or, um, you know, I honestly couldn't remember. <laughs> I want to say yes, but uh, it, 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 you can flip a coin. I, I do not remember that. It's funny of all the other details I remember. The score of that Bulls game is the least furthest from my mind or the most furthest from my mind <laughs> of course of course uh that, that moment's uh i mean incredible only man what was that 108 years or uh yep. of it of it man uh dang <laughs> no it's uh just a yeah crazy run uh you know and we, we talked about them a little bit earlier i want to talk about the team the the south side team the, the white Sox. uh what's going on with uh tony larusa i know he <laughs> He had a decision he made uh, earlier this week. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, so the Tony La Russa stuff um, has really been crazy all, not only this year, but last year when Jerry Reinsdorf, who has owned the White Sox for 40 years, he hired Tony La Russa early. Actually, so Tony La Russa actually was managing the White Sox in the 70s before Jerry Reinsdorf owned the team. Jerry fired him to put Hawk Harrelson, who was the broadcaster, then GM, um, in the managerial seat and did not work wow. out. And this was in the early, this was in the mid eighties, I think 86. La Russa goes on to win world series with the A's, with the Cardinals, <laughs> become a hall of famer. And so Jerry Reinsdorf has said on the record, his biggest regret as an owner is firing Tony La Russa or letting Hawk Harrelson fire him. And so in a weird way, this was a chance for vindication for Jerry to go out and hire his old buddy who at the time was 76 years old and hadn't managed in a decade. So he brings him back to a white Sox team that a lot of people last year thought, thought could be a world series yeah. contender. The talent had been there. They had rebuilt for, for multiple years. And you're like, all right, this, this could be the time the white Sox win their first world series since 2005. And La Russa immediately starts making these weird decisions and, you know, the line of decisions and, you know, some of the rules he didn't remember or didn't know, like some of the new rules. And you're just like, you know, what, yeah. what's going on? This isn't the same guy. <laughs> he clearly lost his fastball. And you're also asking this guy who is 76 to relate to 20 and 30 year olds who, yeah. um, you know, the White Sox as a team have a lot of young players who are a little brash, little, you know, um, you know, uh, 
I don't want to say cocky, but they, they are confident and they have a flair about them. And a lot of people thought that could mesh or, you know, in a weird way with Larusa. And I think they won in spite of him last year, but then they get beaten the playoffs handedly against the Astros. So this year, Tony's back and the White Sox get off to a shaky start. They're never really on a roll. And the Larusa has some weird moments throughout the year. He intentionally walks not one, but two different players during the season on one, two counts, which is unheard of. Uh, one of them completely backfires in his face. He puts Leory Garcia, who is one of the worst hitters in baseball this year, in the middle of the order or lead off. Um, he continually just doesn't seem to be the manager this team needs to spark itself to reach its full potential. And so two and a half weeks ago or so, La Russa is about to manage the game. He gets called from his doctor. And they say, you can't manage. We need to see you right away. It turns out um, La Russa has a pacemaker in his heart and it's oh. wiring is, is faulty. It's the readings are, are not what the doctors want to see. So he has to get the pacemaker fixed, fly to Arizona for his um, personal doctors. And he hasn't managed since. And it's been about three weeks. Miguel Cairo, the bench coach, has been the interim manager. And what do you know? The White Sox all of a sudden get hot with La Russa not there anymore. Yeah. And they play to their potential. They're the highest scoring team in baseball. It's like, all right, you can make it a coincidence or you can be like addition by subtraction. Yeah. And, yes. you know, White Sox fans are easy to point that out. And and the latest thing that's happened is Tony spoke in Oakland. He flew uh, there to not manage because the White Sox are playing there, but be there for his former player, Dave Stewart's jersey retirement ceremony. And he spoke to reporters and he said, I haven't been cleared to manage yet. Um, I don't want to be a distraction. So I'm not sure if I'm not sure yet what's going to happen. And, you know, a lot of White Sox fans, they want to feel, they want to see this team play out the rest of the year without Tony La Russa. not only because it could be a distraction, but because they feel like they're better without yeah. him. And it remains to be seen if La Russa will come back. Um, I, I don't know if um, he feels like he is, a, if he feels like he is, the manager that is causing the issues. I feel like he doesn't see it that way. He's very proud of um, who he is as a person. He always has felt like he's kind of the smartest guy in the room and he's, he's still a very smart baseball mind. But when you talk to him, you can clearly tell things are a little slower. And again, he's, he's up there in age. He's the oldest manager in baseball. Yeah. Um, and, and not to say, you know, people in their upper seventies can't do anything like Tony La Russa is doing right now, manage a baseball team, but it's, it's clearly something that it's not the same for him as he is used to manage the Cardinals and the A's back in the seventies, eighties, nineties, and early two thousands. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens. They're still chasing the guardians in the L central. There might not be enough time left, honestly, even if he does come back for them to overtake Cleveland. But um, I think the fascinating thing will be if they miss the playoffs, does Jerry Reinsdorf tell Tony, that's it. It's been two years. We gave you a shot. Or does he bring his friend back for one more go? Yeah, I know. And uh, you did mention how close they are. I know they played the Guardians this weekend in the series. Uh, that should be interesting because they win that. They cut the game, the lead to two, I believe, um, in the Central. I I mean, I, I, have, I do a baseball podcast covering all the bases with a, with a few buddies of mine. And we talk, we've talked about the White Sox on and off, man, for like, I don't know, six to eight weeks. It's like, I remember they got swept by like the Diamondbacks or something like that, uh, probably like two or three or maybe like a month ago now. 
But uh, I was like, oh my God, I'm just writing them off. They're completely dead. <laughs> and then they pulled these games out. Well, Lance Lynn pitched way better. Uh, Cease has, uh, has been awesome all year. And uh, Kopech finally came back. So it's like, you guys got, you know, everybody back. Everyone's just hitting. And so it sounds like uh, Cairo's the guy, you know. You saw the same thing with the Phillies. The Phillies, uh, they changed managers. Remember, they got mm-hmm. let go of Girardi. And then in comes the bench coach. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, this team, you know, is now playing to its full potential. And uh, that, that sort of way. So, yeah, no, good uh, with the, the White Sox. Uh, do, do you think uh, the Roos is back next year? I I will say no, but I don't feel confident about that at all. Um, <laughs> I <because laughs> I think loyal. yeah I think if he's gone, it's because Tony looks in the mirror and says I I can't do this anymore to the fullest of my potential, yeah. and he says what's best for the White Sox is for them to go in a different direction. I don't think Reinsdorf comes out and says we're getting rid of Tony Larusa on his own accord. I think it'll have to be Tony taking that stance and going out of his way to say, I'm, I'm not coming back. Outside of the Cubs winning the world series in uh, 2016, what was your favorite uh, sports moment as a Chicago sports fan? That's a good question. Um, you know, the Blackhawks, when they won in 2010, um, that was awesome because, you know, the Hawks hadn't won in 49 years. You know, it's one of those droughts that I think got overlooked because, you know, so many people talk about the Cubs having not won in, over hundred years and the white Sox when they won in 05, it, it had been, you know, 80 plus years, but the Blackhawks were an original hockey team. This was a hockey crazy city still is. And for them to finally get a team again, that could be competitive with so many young, amazing players and starting a, a dynasty at the time. We didn't know it, but that, that 2010 team for them to win the cup in Philly, the crazy goal by Patrick Kane, that, that was awesome. We got to attend the parade when they came back home. Um, and then 2015, they won the cup against Boston, uh, excuse me, against Tampa. They won against Boston in 2013. And I had just, um, started, it was my first full year at WGN and I got to be on the ice, um, after they won the cup and I wasn't, um, I wasn't reporting for the newscast, but I was like helping kind of just arrange interviews with guys, but just being on the ice when they had the, the cup there and, passing it around to different players, family members, all the, the hoopla that goes into uh, a celebration like that. That was pretty special. And then, you know, got to take pictures with the cup and um, stuff like that. So that, that was definitely one of the highlights for sure of uh, my Chicago sports fandom. And then, um, and then I will say, even though the game didn't turn out well, maybe the most singular moments that sticks out is Devin Hester's Super Bowl touchdown oh, yeah. return to start the game against the Colts in uh, Super Bowl 41. No, that, that was a cool moment. I remember watching that because I was like, I was a dumb high schooler. And I made a bet with my high school teacher. It was like 10 bucks, whatever. But I, he was like, I was like, oh man, the Bears are going to beat, you know, Peyton Manning. And, <laughs> and uh, Hester ran that back. And I was like, uh, you know, this before, before I even had a cell phone, I don't think I te- texted him. I was like, I, I was like, oh man, it was uh, one of the happiest moments because I was uh, really <laughs> rooting the Bears on that year. <laughs> do, you, do you think uh, Lovey Smith has a good chance of, uh, uh, having some success with the Texans down, uh, down there in Texas? <laughs> um, not really, to be honest. You know, <laughs> Houston's a mess of a franchise. And, yeah. you know, Lovey, again, is, is getting this opportunity when he probably doesn't deserve it, to be honest. I like Lovey. I think the Bears should not have fired him when they did, coming off a 10-win season. Um, and, you know, he got a chance to coach at the University of Illinois, 
So we followed him uh, in Champaign and it just didn't work out. I don't, I, again, that was a curious decision for, for the Illini to go and hire Lovey Smith to coach college. And then he, you know, he's back with Houston as a defensive coordinator. They don't have a good defense. And then the whole Deshaun Watson fiasco. And then they decide to, to keep Lovey and promote him as their head coach. So I wish him well, but no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not betting on Houston to be any, uh, any good this year or well, in the near future. <laughs> well, they didn't win and they didn't lose. They, exactly. They, <laughs> they didn't lose. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. No, I wish him the best. Uh, I know he, he was, he had some pretty good teams there in uh, Chicago, but uh, yeah, definitely. Great been, defenses. Done in much sense. Uh, you know, doing, doing, being a anchor and a, uh, broadcast a reporter and doing all that uh what is your best uh piece of advice for prepping for all those kind of moments yeah and you know to me you can never get you know enough practice and repetition over the years right like i mentioned my college experience and you know getting the chance to do live sportscasts and live hits for the newscast on location. And some of them were at six in the morning. Some of them were, you know, later in the, in the day, you know, in the newscast, sometimes, you know, four o'clock news, sometimes 10 o'clock news. It's just totally different parts of the day and all different stories that, that come with that. But getting that experience when I was 20, 21 years old was huge because I got more comfortable in front of the camera and I was able to develop a little bit of the style that I, that I liked and, you know, what was comfortable to, to me. Cause I think everybody has to be themselves when they're on the camera, if they are trying to mimic someone, or if, you know, you're, you're trying to be a sports center anchor, right. And you're, you're throwing out catchphrases or you're, you're doing something that doesn't feel natural. It, it's going to show to the audience and they're not going to, they're not going to feel like it's genuine. And so just getting the opportunity to have, to have those reps and have that practice that was, it was practice in the sense that you know it was me making those mistakes when I was young but also yeah. like it, it, there was still real consequences like I couldn't you know totally mess up on the air it was still going out to a live audience for for the most part and so um that was really handy because you know my first job out of college I worked in Memphis Tennessee I covered you know pro basketball with the Grizzlies big time college sports yeah. SEC countries there Memphis Tigers basketball football is huge there um so got to do that and then um you know worked my way up went to a different market and was the weekend sports anchor for for two plus years in a city called cape Girardeau, missouri which is um small town in, in uh, southern missouri but we covered a, la a large area and it was like four different states that were in our territory a lot of different teams high school college we covered you know st louis cardinals i covered at the world series in 2013 stuff like that, which was, which was really fun, but you're kind of the main, you're one of two people in the sports department. You're doing a little bit of everything. And I, I learned how to shoot my own video or at the time I, you know, I had done that for years, but I was shooting my own video, editing my own video, writing my own scripts, producing the sports cast, and then going on the air. So you're literally doing everything. And I don't do that anymore. I, I write my own scripts and I anchor and I report, but I don't have to shoot video and I don't have to edit my own stories, which is, which is nice. But I know how to do it, so I know what to look for, right? I know I know what goes into making a good shot for a story, what a good highlight looks like, and that is vital because I am aware of, you know, a what what I want to see on the air because a lot of viewers don't truly understand like the process that goes behind it. Like whatever goes on the air, if you're the one on the air, they think it's all you, right? If there's a mistake, doesn't matter if it was the producer's fault or 
the photographer, editor, it's going to be you if you're the face, right? And right. so, you know, you learn how to collaborate with those people, how to how to form a, a you know, be a teammate. Because um, as much as it's an individual job when you're on the air, it's it's really not. It's really a team team effort. So I would say, you know, working well with people, reading as much as you can, watching your teams. Like some people, you know, I've worked with some people who will go on the air and they'll talk about the games and, and they're not necessarily watching what's happening on the games. Like maybe they're reading up the game story and stuff or looking at the box score, but to truly know what you want to say on the air and talk about, you have to, you know, really talk to a lot of people, be in the locker rooms, you know, get a sense of that team if you can. Um, and also for me, I, I always have been big into, uh, you know, crafting a story and not just going on the air and, and saying, you know, the Cubs play the Cardinals today. They've lost two in a row. Let's get to the highlights. That's, that's a boring B anybody can do that. So I'm trying to, even in my 15 second on air intro to the highlights, trying to come up with either something that is a new information for people, B clever or witty, like trying to make people think or laugh, you know, trying to have fun with it. Um, or, or C just like, you know, trying to, um, tell, tell the story of a highlight in a way that is just a little different than you're going to get from anybody else. And whether that's like a, a turn of phrase or, you know, I like to use humor in, in my storytelling too, and in my, my highlights and stuff like that. So any way that you can kind of like make it engaging for the audience, uh, I feel like is going to do, do wonders for, for a sports anchor and reporter, because I just feel like they're, they're going to have more fun doing the job. And I think people are going to want to watch them more. That makes Absolutely. sense. No, totally. Yeah. And uh, you gave a lot of great, great pieces of advice there. Uh, make, you know, you practiced your craft, which is a uh, perfect, I mean, you know, all, all that kind of, like you said, you see what's on screen, but the, the bones and all, all that, that, that goes into it really uh, comes from all the, the practice and, you know, you to make it perfect. And in that sort of sense, was there ever a funny moment uh, on camera for you or, or somewhere you said like maybe the wrong team or, or something like that? <laughs> um, there's always stuff that, that happens, right? Like you just mentioned to try to be perfect. And I, and I will say, um, don't be perfect because no one, no one is be, be <laughs> the best that you can be. And that's, that's a stupid cliche, but like, if you hold yourself to a standard <laughs> that you can never make a mistake on live television, you will fail. Uh, that's yeah. just the bottom line, right? So, like we are talking live on the air and yeah. sometimes you will have a slip of the tongue. Sometimes you will, you know, mess up a word or, or something. And, and it's not to say that like you totally screw up by getting the facts wrong or, you know, calling the team, um, you know, not knowing who the players are. Like if you, if you are just talking and you stumble on a word that, that happens, right? Like right. by but purpose of getting stuff wrong, that that's, that's obviously bad. That, that shows that you're not prepared and that you don't know the teams, but um to, to rely on every highlight being the cleanest every single time you're on the air. And I host a 30 minute sports show along with the sports cast for the news. It's a lot of talking. It's a lot of live sports. You're not always going to be um, as clean as you want it to be, but um, I try to be prepared and I try to know exactly what I, what I, you know, want to talk about and whether it comes out perfectly or not, that, that depends on, you know, sometimes just, uh, the sports cast, but, um, cause some of it, cause I write my sports cast and I ad lib a lot of the show that we do at night because it's some, it's conversational, right? Sometimes it's just talking to people about the games. And so that's just like me and you are talking, right? Like sometimes yeah. it'll, it'll have some, some moments where it's not as scripted. And that means, you know, it might not 
sound as great as some of the scripted work, but it sounds more real and more genuine that way. Um, I will say though, a moment that comes to mind is as far as uh, a faux pas was um, my first month on the job in Memphis. I was covering the Memphis Tigers basketball team and they um, were practicing at their on-campus facility and the door was locked. And so I decided to like open the gym door to try to get in after practice, not knowing the practice was still going on. And the fire alarm goes off when I open the side door <laughs> because obviously that door is closed for a reason and they had to stop practice and they come out and they're like, what the hell just happened? And I was like, oh boy, I'm this like 22 year old kid who is just new on the job. And I'm like disrupting, uh, you know, yeah. Disrupting. Luke, Luke, uh, Luke Walton was the assistant coach at the time of Memphis before he went on to obviously coach the um, Lakers, uh, to coach the Lakers and everything. So yeah, it was, uh, it was an embarrassing moment, but you kind of, you get over it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. You, you, know, you, you mentioned uh, Luke Walton. I have another follow-up question to that. Um, who has been your favorite, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be athlete, uh, you know, just legend, NFL, NBA, MLB that you have met and kind of gets got to know? So a couple that I, I really uh, have enjoyed talking to, you know, Kyle Hendricks, who oh. um you know, is injured right now and, and, and has not had a couple great seasons in uh, recent years, was a tremendous pitcher for the Cubs. Yeah. Got the game seven starts right. against uh, Cleveland, started the game six clincher in the NLCS in 2016 against the Dodgers, which a game I went to. Another one of my um, fondest sports memories was being at Wrigley Field for, for that game when they clinched their first pennant since 1945. But Kyle is so genuine and so good of a guy. Um, to talk to in the clubhouse he's just he's he's super smart he went to Dartmouth but he's also just like really nice to, to the media which is not always the case right some guys are you know a little bit moody they can you know if they win or lose they can be different to talk to depending on, on how they're feeling but Kyle is always game he's always really like up for a conversation he's really smart about the way he will present information he's not just throwing out cliches he thinks about his answers and he's always given us time so I've always enjoyed talking with Kyle Hendricks and then you know when Joe Madden was managing the Cubs he was he was such a character but it was always something <laughs> fresh and interesting and I got to do a sit-down interview with Joe in 2015 when he was um his first year on the job and you know just talked to him about I remember we had a conversation about um specific honey that he sourced from I think Australia <laughs> that he like bought for like $35 a jar because it's like the best honey in the world and like stuff like that right like he's just yeah. so he's so kooky but he's he's funny and he um you know he was uh, just interesting to talk to just an interesting guy so those two come to mind oh, okay yeah no Joe, I never remember during that I think uh when Joe Madden was there he would do different stuff for the clubhouse right he would bring like uh different shows and stuff like that what, what kind oh of they had dress up yeah dress up days on their road trips they had um oh uh they had a magician come to spring training um <laughs> like a petting zoo at wrigley field yeah it's crazy <laughs> no yeah that, that kind of stuff is cool because i i can't imagine playing 162 game season uh it probably some days probably feel you know redundant and some days are like god this is never going to end uh, do, do you think that baseball should cut down the season a little bit? Do you think it's a little too Yeah, long? I've always been I've always been a proponent of making the season probably closer to 140 games. I think That's you chop right. off April because the weather's terrible and yeah. finish in early October 
because the weather's terrible in late October. Like get this, <laughs> the bad months out of the baseball calendar, um, make it 140 games and maybe even throw in a couple more off days during the year. But they're never going to do it because they're not going to lose the the money of, of 22 games that would be off the calendar. But you are seeing the changes, right, with the, the, the rules that are going to be implemented next year, the pitch clock being probably the biggest in terms of pace of play and the games yeah. hopefully being closer to 245, 230 instead of three plus hours. Cause yeah, it's, it, I'm a big baseball fan, but even, even myself, it's hard to justify watching every game three hours plus of your life dedicated to, and we have two teams to keep an eye on. It's just a yeah. lot. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, it is a lot. And I agree. I've always said like one, like one forty around that range is like perfect. Like, you know, you cut off, you could cut off a whole month. You could really spread it out a little bit. You could get the season done before going almost into November and, and all that. And not, not, not just that though. It's like, I, I feel like they could even, they've already done it. They've expanded some of the playoffs. Like you already have some of that. Like, I know it's like, there's so much more playoff revenue there for the league. I think they could make it up there, but I know the teams and stuff, they'll lose a lot of money in concessions and all that. So I guess that's where they'll always fight uh, tooth and nail on it um, for all that. Right. Yeah, but. for sure. So it's, it's always about the almighty dollar, uh, unfortunately. And you know, that's, that's not going to change, right. They're not going to put the genie back in the bottle and, and cut down on games. So yeah, yeah no, no, no de definitely. Um, a few more questions here before I let you go. Uh, what are your, uh, do you think the white Sox are going to uh, catch up to the guardians at the end of the year? Um, I'll, I'll say no. Um, just because I don't think there's enough time. I, you know, I think the white Sox have had the talent and, and, you know, who knows, maybe they can finish the last 19 games going, 15 and four, but the guardians are also playing great baseball and um, they have a really easy schedule. They finish with six games against the Royals. Yeah. Uh, Cleveland does. And well, so, um, yeah, I, I would say no at this point. Okay. Uh, they, they prove you wrong. You like go on the record. And like, That's uh, fine. But... I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I will take the heat if they prove me wrong, but then I'll get to cover the playoffs. So I'm, I'm happy about that. If they make it. Yeah. No, no, there you go. That That's true. Uh, what, what are your uh, expectations for the, Chicago Bulls this coming year. They uh, gave Zach Levine a pretty uh, large number contract there. Um, I don't. Yeah, they had to. They had to pay Zach, right? Like, yeah, he's he's been a proven All Star, one of the best offensive players in the league. Um, you you just kind of are forced to pay market value on guys like that, and <laughs> I think it's fine. I think Zach is is still you know an ascending player. He's twenty seven. You know he can he's gotten better on defense the last couple of years. He's clearly an elite scorer. DeMar DeRozan was so instrumental in this team last year, being the number one seed up until the all-star break and, and getting, um, you know, getting healthy is the most important thing. Lonzo Ball, yeah. we're not sure about his knee. He doesn't look like he's going to start the season on time from all the reports. And yeah. he was huge for that team in the first half. And when they lost Lonzo, they really lost their edge defensively and their playmaker on offense, you know, being the facilitator and one of the best three-point shooters on the team. So if Lonzo's not healthy, I think the cap on this team is probably a five or six seed, maybe a four seed, because yeah. the East is so dominant. Again, there's so many good teams. Um, if he's back and he can play a full season or close to it, I think the Bulls can can be a top four seed. I think, um, you know, are they better than the Bucks or the Celtics or maybe even, you know, Philly or Miami? You know, probably not, but we saw what they were like when they were all on the floor together last year. And so I think that it's basically the same team coming back. They didn't really make a lot of additions, but they didn't lose a lot of people either. So um, they're banking on continuity and health. 
And those are always two tough things to, to um, predict, especially the health part, but we'll see. I'm, I think a lot of people are, are excited the direction the bulls have gone and the front office completely remaking this team from what it was a couple of years ago. But um, right now they don't, to me, look like a team that can get to the finals or, or maybe the, even the Eastern conference finals. But um, again, if, if things break right with injuries, uh, they'll be competitive. Yeah, no, definitely. And plus uh, Caruso, uh, ho- hopefully you see a, get a healthy Caruso. Yep. I mean, his that injury last year was very unfortunate for him. I think he got pushed, right? For, um, yeah, Grayson Allen. Yeah, Grayson Public Allen. enemy number one in Chicago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. He's not, not a lot of fans of Grayson Allen here. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a pretty, you know, uh, gnarly uh, injury or incident is more I'm looking for. But yeah. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for your time today, uh, Josh. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to say that you haven't already said? No, I think you know we we covered the the landscape around here. It's always you know a busy time in a in a Chicago sportscaster's life because we have so many teams. But that's what makes the job fun. I'm I'm very blessed and and just um, fortunate to be able to work in my home city and cover sports and work for a great company like WGN. And um, no, this is fun. I appreciate you you having me on Brian and best of luck to you. Uh, absolutely. You know, I, I do have one more question for you. I'm sorry. Um, was there ever a rocky time in your life where you didn't think you were going to make it as a sportscaster or anything like that before you were in college? Like, you're like, you know, what am I doing or anytime? Even- yeah. I mean, you know, I, I like to say that no, no person who goes through this industry is, is without some trials and tribulations and some rocky, moments because it's just it's a very difficult industry um not only to to break into but then to just like to stay in because you know my first few jobs um you're getting paid nothing you're working in smaller cities you know you don't know a lot of people there you're away from family and friends and so it's a different lifestyle you're working weekends you're working nights so your social life is is out of whack too so making it through those early years and then i decided you know when i left um cape Girardeau, my second job um, I had a chance to, to stay there and, and do another two-year contract. And I knew at the time I was like, you know, I, I, I want to jump to a bigger city and I wanted to always get back to Chicago. And I had some opportunities, but WGN initially hired me as a sports producer. And I knew I took that risk knowing that I might not get back on air, but I wanted to be in Chicago and get my foot in the door basically. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, a it's a very nonlinear path that I took because a lot of people that jump from on air to off air don't get the chance to go back on air a lot. Um, but it was very fortunate timing because I joined in late 2014. And within a couple months after that, um, we had a 24 hour sister station that we aired called CLTV, Chicago Land TV. And they had not aired a, a local sports show on that channel for probably close to 10, 15 years. And they wanted to bring something back. And our news director, knew I had previous sports experience, but had never really seen my work because they hired me to be a sports producer. And so when this opportunity came up, or just not, not even an opportunity, when this show was being announced that they wanted to just start a sports show on CLTV, I told my news director, hey, that sounds awesome. Anyway, I can help. I want to be a part of it. And, you know, she reached back out and was like, you know, thank you. Um, you know, I, I don't want to make any promises to you, but send me like your on-air reel and we'll see, you know, where things go. And I, I didn't initially tell her I wanted to host the show, but I just wanted to be a part of it. And she looked at my on-air reel and she was impressed enough to give me like a little bit of a tryout, I guess you can say. And they wanted um, Jared Payton 
Walter Payton's son to be kind of the main analyst and they wanted someone with experience to be kind of the driver right and so we paired up and we did this 30 minute show and I remember it was on Valentine's Day week of 2015 I completely wrote and produced it and I'd never really worked with Jared before and we luckily we hit it off and um we we did this mock show and then hadn't heard anything for three months and then we heard all right we're getting greenlit by the way it's not a 30 minute show it's an hour-long show five (laughs) nights a week and you're starting in three weeks so there we go and that was in june of 2015 and that lasted for four and a half years and i got to host the show with Jarrett, and um i was still fully employed by wgn as well so i got to also um fill in anchor on the wgn side report go on these assignments and then host this show five nights a week on the cltv side so it was really the best of both worlds and cltv um we got new ownership and they ended up folding that channel in late 2019 and then early 2020 um we started a sports show on wgn five nights a week after the news at 10 30 and so i was i was doing that with Jarrett and the rest of our sports team and then COVID happens and we kind of had to totally adjust everything, but the show never went away and it's been going for two and a half years. And I, I host that for four of the five nights a week I work. And then the other night I go to ballparks or go to various practice and do stories and features. And so it's really awesome. And, and basically long story short, um, I could have never told you this would be where I ended up when I made the jump to WGN from Missouri. But at the same time, I believed in my talents and I had, I had the experience, so I wasn't jumping from, and I want, I don't want to give people the false impression that you can become a producer from a producer. You can become an on-air reporter and anchor without any experience. That was not the case. I was an anchor and reporter for really five years. I then took the leap to go to WGN and they were able to see that I had the opportunity or I took advantage of the opportunity in front of me because I had the experience before. And so yeah, um, very fortunate the way things have worked out. It was definitely not a um, a linear path, a straight path. It was it, definitely a little zigzag, but um, it, but yeah, that, I would I would just say you know it's it's a it is a career of attrition. Meaning, if people stay in it, they are they are bound to um, you know get to where they want because so many people that are talented decide that they cannot continue with either living in a small market or the pay or the hours. And you see a lot of good people that leave the industry and I'm talking strictly like television, right? Like newspapers yeah. too, but um, you know, TV is a grind. And now like yourself, you can have a podcast or you can do, you know, these things that, you know, when I was coming through college weren't really available to us yet. And so, so many people can, can get that, get a head start in their careers and form their own viewer or fan base or listenership by, just having people on and, and being able to, to do something from their own home, which is great. And so um, there's a lot more opportunities for people for sure. Yeah, no, you, like I said, uh, like, like you mentioned, I mean, uh, there is never a linear path. Uh, there's always going to be different routes. <laughs> I mean, you, you take it a step at a time and you make it available. And just like you kind of mentioned, uh, you never thought that you could, or that, that it would kind of end up the way it did, but that that's just sort of how it goes, man. I think that anyone listening uh, that is kind of looking for that in any kind of career field, right. You're like, wow, I never expected that was, this would come up or that would come up and that would be here. But uh, man, uh, congratulations on all your success, Josh, because uh, it's not an easy road. Uh, It takes a lot of dedication and hard work to get there. And I thank you so much for coming on the show today. 
Appreciate it, Brian. Thank you. Absolutely. I hope you guys all enjoyed that episode with Josh. A lot of great Chicago stories, especially some of those about the Cubs learning about their uh, game seven win there was probably my favorite takeaway uh, in 2016 when they won the World Series. Uh, Josh is a uh, professional and there's no doubt that he is going to be in this industry for such a long time and going to be making his way up the ladder, whether it's there in Chicago or anywhere else among the sports industry. If you guys all enjoyed this episode of Josh Friedman, please do not forget to rate, subscribe, and leave a review for this podcast and share it with your fellow sports fans, everybody. We guys all have a great day and leave everybody better than you found them.